0: You've been blessed so far this morning. Man, it's a good day, it's a good day. Thank you for being here this afternoon, choosing, you had you had an option this morning when you woke up where you were gonna to come to church. You chose Keene Seventh Baptist Church. Whether you're here in person or online, glad you're here. And you're a good looking bunch. I don't care what they said on the door on the way in, right? You're a good looking bunch. A couple of items uh, to bring to your attention before we dive into scripture today. Uh, Coming up this Tuesday evening, June 13, 7 p.m. in the chapel, we have a church business meeting. One item, got to vote our budget for this coming year. Uh, So thank you for coming out and supporting, uh, hearing what our board is proposing for this year uh, and excited to see ministries funded and the operations of the church continue on. So Tuesday evening, 7 p.m., we invite you to come out for that. And also, uh, you know, we have the, the Come and Go Food Pantry right out here. Nathy faithfully uh, sorts that out uh, for us. We have people daily. It's amazing how much traffic we get through that. People from the community and how much of an impact it's made uh, on, uh, on our community. So uh, the way that it's funded is, is through you. The way that uh, we, we keep having food in that pantry is because of you. So if uh, next time you're at H uh, B or Albertsons or Walmart, wherever you're, you're, you're shopping for your groceries, grab a couple extra cans of Chef Boyardee, a couple extra cans of this, a couple extra cans of that, drop it by the office and we'll, we'll make sure it goes to the people that are in need of it. And I just have to pause for a moment for baptisms today. It's that's, that's so cool. At the Yeah, let's, let's give it up for Brendan, Teresa, Deborah, and for um, And at the end of the service today, we're gonna have an opportunity to pray over them once again. So look forward to that at the end of today. Today a tale of two kings is where we're going. We're going to be in Daniel chapters four and five. We're going to start in chapter five. Uh, so have your Bible open to that. Chapter five, verse one, come in here in a moment. Uh, and then we're going to back up to Daniel four and then back to Daniel five to, to finish up. You'll, it, it'll make sense here in a moment. And just as brief review over the, the past couple of weeks of what we've been looking at in our series, Resolve, Daniel's long obedience in the same direction. We saw in Daniel chapter one, the Hebrews taken captive, brought to Babylon, Daniel and his three friends stand up and they say, we will go this far and no further. We serve God alone and God honors their faithfulness. We see the, the dream that God gives Nebuchadnezzar, the multi metalled statue that charts the course of human history and we can trust scripture because scripture accurately depicts the course of human history. And Nebuchadnezzar faced with the reality that his kingdom will come to an end, but there is a God whose kingdom will never end. Daniel chapter three, the fiery furnace, the three Hebrews, three people go in, but there's four. There's another in the fire. Standing up for God, saying, no, king, it doesn't matter what you do to us. Our God can save us. We worship him even if he doesn't. You don't get in the way of that. And today, we're going to look at the tale of two kings. Two kings that come in different historical periods of the Babylonian kingdom or empire. And it's a very interesting time in Babylon because you have leaders who are wrestling through what their relationship is to the God of heaven. And people inside of the kingdom wrestling through their relationship to king, little K king on this earth or capital K king in heaven. And there's a back and forth. And we'll see today that one king chooses well and one king does not. And you, the, the liter, the, uh, those who are interested in literature, yeah. the litera- literary nerds in the room, uh, recognize the, the title from today as maybe pulled from a classic by Charles Dickens, written in the mid 1800s, A Tale of Two Cities. You've, you've read the book, right? Comparing London and Paris during the, the French Revolution and just, just the, the amount of knowledge and who do we turn to? Where do we go? Who has truth? And Charles Dickens' commentary on kind of the, what's going on in the social classes during that time. The opening lines of that classic by Charles Dickens, I think are very apropos for what we're going to look at today. So here are those lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You remember the book now. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Apropos for our story today and for our times, we live in those paradoxes where it's the best time to be alive and it's the worst time to be alive. The same is true for the Babylonians in the stories that we're looking at today. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So Daniel chapter five, verse one is where we begin. This is about 30 or 40 years after the plain of Dura. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Everybody's got gray hair now. They're pulling out the old high school yearbooks, looking back at how young and handsome or pretty they used to be, reminiscing over the old times, right? Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives and his concubines. He just wants to have a party, get wasted. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. More than just a party, they want to raise a fist at the God of heaven. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of what? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Remember that multi-metal statue? It'll become important in a moment. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand riding on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. This is the original version of a projector, Right? You can plug an iPad or something in, you can write on that, and it shows up on the screen. Except it's not modern technology. There's a disembodied hand that shows up that etches words onto the wall. Now, I don't know about you, but my face would probably turn pretty pale like Belshazzar if that happened today, right? Just in the drywall, somewhere around here. That, And those of you that know the end of the story know that that writing is not a good thing to be happening, right? But Belshazzar is in fear. He has no idea what to do, but to do what those before him had done. Call for the wise man. Any wise man among you that can tell me what the meaning of the writing on the wall is, I will throw purple robes on your back. I will give you gold and silver and I will make you third in the kingdom. He was co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. He said, I'll make you third in the kingdom. Anybody, if you tell me what that means Honor, power, authority given to you. No one can determine what's on the wall. Go figure, right? We've already had a couple instances of this. Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar's like, tell me the dream and the interpretation. Nothing. But the despair is so palpable that the queen mother hears of what's going on and she walks in and tells her son, go talk to Daniel or bring Daniel here. Daniel can tell who Daniel? Who you remember the Hebrew that was captive and your father Nebuchadnezzar brought? Bring him and he'll tell you. So Belshazzar invites Daniel in. He tells, gives Daniel the spiel. Tell me what's on the wall. Remember you were one of the Hebrews. He kind of puts him in his place. Remember you were one of the Hebrews that was brought uh, in captivity into Babylon. If you tell me what's on the wall, purple robe, third in the kingdom, guarantee. And Daniel's a little bit older, a little bit wiser. A little more gray hair on his head, and look how Daniel responds in Daniel chapter five, verse seventeen. Daniel answered the king, "There's no, your Majesty. Long live the king." He says, "Keep your gifts and give them to someone else." Try saying that to a king, right? He determines whether you live or die. And like, keep your gifts and give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Verse eighteen, your Majesty the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Whoa, hold on. Daniel, I thought you were gonna tell us what was on the wall. No, this is Daniel's introduction. It's his preamble. He's setting the stage for Belshazzar because what he wants Belshazzar to look for are the signs and the symbols that have come beforehand. It's a a concept that's as old as as scripture that when we walk the life or we live the lives that we live and we walk the roads that we walk or drive the roads that we drive, kind of think in our minds, the analogy of looking for signposts, right? There there is something, I was talking to someone this morning, I was praying for a door to open or a door to close. I'm looking for the sign. God, would you send just, I need a billboard or like smoke signals or something to know how to go in our lives. And what Daniel does for Belshazzar is lift up one of those signs that says, "Remember, the Most High God gave your predecessor Nebuchadnezzar glory, honor, and majesty." By the way, Nebuchadnezzar was likely Belshazzar's grandfather. This is kind of this weird way that they're connected. Royal families have those, right? Our families have those. Just kind of the weird ways that we're connected. Remember your grandfather. Do you remember the story? Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-one puts it this way. God speaking to Israel, but same concept, set up road signs, put your guideposts, mark well the path by which you came. Do you remember when you were in driver's ed? Or maybe you didn't have to take driver's ed, you just grew up driving, right? Well, I took driver's ed and uh, got my uh, permit or provisional or something like that. And I remember uh, my mom was sitting in the in the passenger side and uh, we were driving, I think we went shopping one afternoon or something. And, you know, in the, the parking lots of a mall or, or just, uh, yeah, where you go shopping, there's some stop signs that make sense and others that don't, right? Like, why is there a stop sign there, but not there? And then the speed bumps that are just like, just take the suspension out of your car. It's just the soul of your car out, right? Uh, and I remember we were driving and uh, come up to one of those places that has a stop sign and I'm totally oblivious to it. We're just, we're talking and we get up to the sign and I'm in the middle of the inter- intersection. She calmly says, you know, that was a stop sign. She had like her foot pressed into the floorboard, right? There's, there's, We feel there's got to be a break on the passenger side, right, if you're, if you're pushing on it. There was a stop sign back there. I was like, there was? Yes. This may have happened more than once. I think it happened with my dad too, just full transparency. But here's the thing. When we miss the sign, we can put ourselves and the people entrusted to our care in danger. Thankfully, it's a mall parking lot, right? Going 10, 15 miles an hour, barely moving at all. Like probably other people saw me, like it's, it's fine, like no consequences. But happening in another place, that can mean impact. That can mean collision. That can mean injury to property and to person. When we miss the road signs, we may put ourselves in danger. That's what Daniel's holding up for Belshazzar. Would you look at the road signs for a moment? And he tells him a story. Daniel chapter five, verses 19 through 21. God made him, Nebuchadnezzar, so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. And he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rule, rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to to rule over them. Think about that for a moment. Belshazzar, let me tell you a story. Do you remember your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar? He lived as a donkey for a couple of years. If God can do that to him, what do you think God is going to do with you, O oh king? Hmm, we'll get to that in a moment, but we need to wrestle with what Nebuchadnezzar goes through first. So here's a jump back. In your Bibles, maybe it's a page over, maybe it's just the left side of the page or the right. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Notice. Notice. This is the only chapter in the entire library of scripture that is written by a pagan king, a non-Jew. The only, the only chapter in all the Bible, slotted right into the end of chapter four. Here are his words, peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. This doesn't sound like the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapter three, right? Plain of Dura, I want to make the whole statue gold. No, this is a king who's been humbled. And he goes on to tell the story, he says, I had a dream that this tree sprouted up and it's the most beautiful tree that you've ever seen. Those of you that have visited maybe Sequoia National Park or Redwoods, this is the kind of tree that we're talking about. Large, ginormous trees with branches extending far and wide. The most beautiful fruit that you've ever seen. He says, as I was looking at that tree, a messenger came and declared, cut down the tree, cut it off at its stump, leave the stump, but take the tree and burn it in the fire. And here's what the messenger says about the purpose of cutting down that tree. Daniel chapter four, verse 17. Put that up on the screen. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world, he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. The purpose of the dream, you better know that there's a God in heaven. And he will place kings and he will depose kings. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, what do I do with this dream? Call the wise men, they can't interpret it. Call Daniel, right? Just call Daniel at first, right? It's like calling your mom, like call your mom first, right, don't go through, Just, just call your mom. Somebody needs to hear that today. I don't know, just call your mom. Call Daniel, Daniel shows up, interprets the dream tells the king about the dream, and he says, oh, king, in the language in Daniel chapter four is this, this turning over inside of him. He says, oh, king, I wish this dream was about your enemies, but this dream is about you. You've got some time left, but there's a period of time, seven years, that you're gonna grow claws and have the mind of an animal and eat grass with the cows and the donkey in the field. You've got time, but king, that is in your future. Fast forward a couple of years, or actually about a year. Nebuchadnezzar back out on his balcony, having a proud moment, looking over his kingdom. I planted that tree. I built that. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did this. And all of a sudden his mind changed, becoming like an animal. And he was driven out of the palace into the field and lived with the donkeys and the cows for seven years. Think about that for a moment. The most powerful person on the planet at the time. The hand of God comes upon him and he is no more than a donkey in a field. That is the miraculous power of God. And think about this well. I like how uh, Dale Ralph Davis puts this in the message of Daniel. Then uh, in in, in verse uh, 17, if verse 17 is true, you must not be overly impressed by human governments nor awed by human rulers. Human governments are interim arrangements that God appoints to fill space until the power and glory of Jesus' kingdom. Human rulers, tyrannical or democratic, are God's lackeys who have tenure only at his pleasure. Let that sink in for a moment. The political atmosphere we live in today, both nationally and globally. Everyone who's in a leadership position is a placeholder until Jesus comes. Top to bottom, Nebuchadnezzar and you and me. And notice Nebuchadnezzar's response to this experience. Daniel chapter four, verse 34 through 37. After this time had passed, being a donkey in a field, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned to me and I praised and worshiped the most high God and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want you to miss this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, even though I was restored, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All of his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. At the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar gets it. It's like, all right, there is a God in heaven. That is the entire theme of the book of Daniel. If you don't get this theme out of the book of Daniel, you're reading it wrong. There is a God in heaven, a God who can set up kings and depose kings, a God who can tell what is going to come in the future, a God who can preserve his people. There is a God in heaven. We live in a world today that struggles with that sentence. Could there be a God? We're building machines that are going to outpace our learning ability. There is a God in heaven. Do not be fooled. All of the wisdom in man pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. Society's answers to our problems will fail, but there is a God. It's the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned, and what. Daniel is hoping to help Belshazzar understand. So for the rest of our time, we step back into the throne room with Belshazzar. Daniel chapter five, verse 22. You, Daniel speaking to Belshazzar, you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. It was likely Belshazzar being Nebuchadnezzar's grandson that Belshazzar would have been witness to his great crazy grandfather out in the middle of a field living with donkeys and cows. And if that's not the case, he would have definitely heard about it. So he grew up knowing the story and knowing about the power of God. And Daniel comes to him and says, you knew all of this, but you didn't learn the lesson. You didn't humble yourself. Dale Ralph Davis, again, the message of Daniel, pay attention to what Belshazzar teaches you. Having clear information does not guarantee the right response. He knew all this, but he did not humble his heart. So having good data does not necessarily bring about required change. Yet, Western culture assumes that it will. Political and social gurus preach the information fallacy constantly. That if you can know enough, if you can cram enough into your mind, everything will be okay. You can survive on your own intuition and your own knowledge. But the problem is we pacify ourselves with how much we know. We may be able to defend our understanding of the 2300 days in Daniel or our keeping of the Sabbath or the way we do this or the way that we do that. But if we haven't embodied the truth that hasn't settled deep down into our souls and transformed our hearts, it's nothing. Having truth doesn't mean we are transformed by the truth, capital T, Jesus. Just because we have knowledge, just because we have truth, just because we've completed an evangelistic series, we've got all this knowledge, means nothing unless we're transformed by the person who is truth, Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to drive the bus for uh, fourth grade at KES to go on an adventure for the day. And uh, we were going to be pilots that day, right? And we got to go up to the Southwest Airlines Training Center up in Dallas. Uh, Incredible facility. It's where they train all of their pilots. And they take us through these different places. And one of the places they've got these multi-million dollar machines that are up on hydraulics. And it's just kind of the scene out of a movie. It's kind of the lights are all down a little bit. and You've got all these different pods that you see going up and down and around. and Pilots are being trained. And they have the opportunity for the fourth graders to fly the simulations. Unfortunately, not the multi-million dollar ones. I don't understand why. Um, just the like $100,000 ones that are like in a room with like TVs and got all the controls and everything else. And so they have the fourth graders go in and sit down. I got to sit down into, in the pilot seat one time too. And there's two guys in the room who combined have flying experience of probably 70 years put together. They are retired pilots. They're not working. They're training other pilots. You've got somebody in the room that's got the information. And he's telling our kids, our fourth graders, here is how you fly a plane. And he's saying, okay, don't go far too far this way. Don't go too far that way. And so they set up the scenario. We're going to be, we're on approach, Chicago, O'Hare. Some kids had rain. Some kids, it was a, you know, bright, sunny day, you know, all those conditions. And he would walk the kids through. This is how you land the plane. Most of them didn't necessarily land successfully. Okay. I don't want to, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna, like throw anybody under the bus, uh, but like, it's hard flying a plane but you've got the guy telling you how to do it, right? Knowledge does not necessarily give you experience and it does not necessarily transform you. Just because you've got knowledge in the room doesn't give you the skills to just navigate it instantaneously. Those kids did well, okay? And there was there, some of the pilots were kind of messing with them too and like throwing them this way that we'll, we'll let that slide, right? but our lives sometimes are like that simulator that we approach it with the complexities and all the buttons are there, the yoke, everything's there and all sorts, the knobs, you can do all sorts of things. We look at life and we say, that's easy, I've got it. Jesus, let me step in. She said, okay, here you go. And living life is just about as hard as landing a plane at O'Hare when you're not an experienced pilot, okay? I hate to break it to you. We must be transformed by the truth. And that was the invitation that Daniel was trying to make to Belshazzar and call out saying, you have not been transformed by the knowledge you know. And the story concludes this way, Daniel chapter 5, 23 through 31. Speaking to Belshazzar, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives your concubines have been drinking wine from, from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear or know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. There's a God who gave you breath this morning to make the decision to defile the temple accoutrements, Belshazzar. Don't you get it? You're using these instruments to praise other gods, the instruments that are used in service to God. Don't you get it? So God has sent this hand to write this message. The message that was written is this. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is what the words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed in the balances and have not, measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. The irony, right? Belshazzar grew up knowing what had happened to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And when faced with the truth about being weighed in in the balance and come up wanting and uh, about being divided and his kingdom handed to somebody else and he's been counted up, he's probably wasted at this point. And he just, he takes the robes and he throws it over Daniel, gives him the gold and silver and says, you're third in my kingdom a kingdom that would last for minutes, maybe hours, because Darius the Mede with his troops was literally under the walls of Babylon already, ready to take over. And Daniel again sees the passing of time and of history and the turnover from the golden head of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to the chest and arms of silver of the Medes and the Persians. Think how heavy and weighty that moment must have been for Belshazzar. He knew the truth. He knew the decision that he should make, yet he did not allow that to transform the way that he walked, transform his heart. Dale Ralph Davis again, truth is important, but we must have power to receive and welcome the truth to respond to it properly. Truth is important, let me say it again, but we must have power to receive and welcome the truth to respond to it properly. Where do we get that power? Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Jesus says, I'm, I'm leaving and it's a benefit to you because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives power to transform. He convicts and he transforms. And it's interesting to note that in Ezekiel, a contemporary prophet of Daniel writes this in Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, God's words, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their story, their, their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. This is Ezekiel writing at the same time. God saying, I want to transform hearts. I want to, I want to make your, your heart soft. And he wanted that for Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted it for Belshazzar, and he wants it for you and for me. And that transformation only happens because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave. John 10:10. 10, 10. And the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus says, "I want you to have life and I want you to have it to the fullest." In Mark chapter 8 verse 36. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your soul? Oh, Belshazzar, what benefit did you gain from having the whole world, but losing your soul? Nothing, nothing compares. The truth of the matter is this, is that God is after hearts, both big and small. He's after Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He's after Belshazzar's heart and he's after your heart and he's after mine heart. And the way that he helps us understand who he is is through knowledge. We can understand God, we can think in our minds the concepts of who God is, but until we allow those concepts to transform our hearts, we have nothing. It's my invitation for you today. When you're faced with that choice, and we're all faced with that choice, do we serve or do we not? Do we honor and worship? the king of heaven, or do we not? I invite you and implore you today to worship the God of heaven because there is a God in heaven. Don't just get caught up with the little t-truths that go around parading. Get to know the truth. The truth is a person and that is Jesus. You can find him in these pages of your Bible and you can find him in the people sitting next to you. Seek truth, the person of truth and submit and worship the God who is in heaven. So this morning, what will you choose?